Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. Without inner work, there's no contemplation. There is just a story of drama and suffering. You can understand there might be growth in this and you're actually making the space in yourself to hold all of those parts. If I come in with this, like, how can I fix this? Then it's saying that there's a problem here. And that's another story. Now you're sitting in a much deeper place than just the story of this is the worst thing that's happened. Nothing beats presence without a role and a story pasted over it. And you can just miss the true kindness that is kind of always there. If we can for a moment slow down enough to drop under the egoic story, you're able to sit in this dramaless state aware and make great decisions and not make decisions out of fear, not make decisions out of panic. You want to make transformation in your kids' lives? Do your work. We suffer when how it is and how we think it should be are different. The more that I practice sitting in all of those parts at the same time, the more that I practice slowing down and not rushing it, the more I practice asking myself what's happening here actually happening, the more my life changes, the more at ease I become. Trauma replicates itself. Until you address it, it will manifest itself into your life continuously. To me, the work now is wake yourself up, do your own work, let go of your trauma, move out of your roles and, and do your inner work in whatever way that is for you. And out of that naturally will start to flow a different sense of what's important. The first three-time guest, you know, I count, count my solo cast, sir. you know, you're right behind me. The third time you've been on the show. Beautiful, man. Great to be back in Austin. Uh, a lot has happened since I was here a year ago. I mean, I don't think any of us could have really contemplated the year that was coming, you know, when I was here in February of last year. Almost the exact same day that we are recording. Wow. Yeah, and things changed so fast. You know, uh, I left America in March made a run for home when suddenly things were starting to happen. Were you, plan you had a longer stay planned and then you had to hike back, right? How long were you planning on staying here in the States? I mean, I was going to be in the States till the end of April. Okay. And then my friends who were in your past world, the investing guys, they were watching what was going on in China. And so, you know, before the cases really started to show up in America, they were like, this thing's coming and uh, no one really knows how it's going to work. So if we were you we would get home. So I made a run for home. And then, you know, I've just been monitoring just how fast things changed, how fast the political environment changed, how fast people bombed out of urban areas, how, how fast it went from, you know, humans can control things to no one knows what's going on. Um, it was, you know, some of what happened in urban areas, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was quite something to witness just how quickly the world realized that uh, we're coming into a time where global things affect, are going to affect everyone in really deep ways. And we probably don't have the structures to handle it yet, but it's, it's been wild. It's been wild. And I was lucky to be in nature and it seemed like the closer to nature you were, um, you know, the easier time you had in some ways. It was a super challenging time for so many people. 
Yeah. And, I, and we had talked about, I felt very fortunate to be here in Austin with, you know, plenty of space for us and the family to enjoy, you know, and that weather that time of year is so amazing here. Yeah. I mean, we felt very lucky being in the, in the wild in South Africa and living close to the land, being connected to the earth, you know, knowing that we had our water source, we had a food source, all of these little things that like a year before, you know, didn't seem as important, but suddenly everyone was waking up to it and yeah, just so much, so much challenge for so many people. So yeah, it's like, it's this whole idea of forced change and the quarantine for a lot of people, it's, there was an opportunity for that. And I think a lot of people, certainly people that you and I know have used it as a, as kind of a passageway into changing things. And I know at Londolozzi, it created this space for you to really move in a direction that you've been talking about, right? Yeah. So we had, we had had a 2020 vision, which was we wanted to become a futuristic African village on, you know, the community that lives on the property and serves guests when they come. And so we'd been looking at sustainability of our water, how we recycle water, how we use it, uh, getting off the grid solar, making sure that we had food gardens in place, but it was a vision for a time. Um, and suddenly it was like, okay, this vision needs to be realized now. Taps off, tourism gone, uh, flow of money into the business gone. How do we keep our staff in food? You know, how do we, how do we live here? How do we suddenly button down the hatches and, and come together as a community and stay connected to our resources and do what we need to do to kind of survive this time? And it was really beautiful to see that that investment in those practices um, really, really paid off. And we were able to essentially live off the land in so many ways. So that, that felt, that felt really good. Um, but yeah, difficult, man. Yeah. And it also inspired you something you'd been wanting to do. You'd said for a long time and it's like, there was no more shit to get off the pot. Like if there was ever a time for you to do your, your, your own journey, which was the 40, 40 days yeah, on so, the reserve. Yeah. Went finally, you know, who has six weeks nowadays? But yeah, I went to lived in that tree for 40 days and 40 nights to explore the mystic in nature. Um, learned a lot, had a lot of encounters and felt the depth of that retreat space. And had this really strange experience too of like people being locked down all over the world. And, and I too was in this enforced solitude, um, but in a tree, you know? So uh, yeah, it's been a deep time and a lot has happened. And I know for you and, and for me, like I think we all had encounters in that year that were really kind of life-changing from the macro to the micro to the collective to the personal. So yeah, deep, man. Yeah. And, 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 you know, people who've listened to the podcast before are familiar with your work, the track your life podcast, which, which chronicles your, you know, each day that you spend out there. And then you did a second, this kind of shorter season with, um, yeah, this, the, the follow-up to, uh, the 40 days and 40 nights season was just an exploration of the sacred what makes a sacred space? What, what conjures the sacred in us? How do, we, how do we create meaning that takes something from being just a place to being a sacred place? What, is, what are the dynamics of sacredness? And so that was, that was kind of the second phase of that exploration. You know, going to places on the property and asking like, why is this place special to me? What energy is it holding? Is it, does it hold an energy that affects me? Or do I hold a story about the place that starts to make it sacred? Um, 
or is it both? Are we co-creating it together? Yeah, it was, so it was, it was a diverse year for sure. Yeah. Diverse, yeah. And then, so when we connected soon after that with the, with the second podcast we did, and that was obviously over, over zoom, I was heading into my five day dieta here, which was, you know, I really wanted to get together with you before I did that. And you gave me some great guidance, um, along that. So thank you for that. Uh, but since then we've, we've had occasion to connect through the unlearned experience. You've been on both of the sessions, the, both of the groups that I've had and come on and shared your, you know, your wisdom, your genius with the guys. And that was amazing. Um, but really where you really showed up for me was when, when Jake broke his jaw and, uh, you know, I was in a place and I've, I've got the email. I've actually printed out the email that I sent you as well, just to give people a little context about where I was at, what I was yeah. feeling. And I think um, maybe just reading that right now to kind of maybe give people some context for, for what I was feeling. And then really the, the, the medicine that, that you shared with me that. Can, can just, can I jump in for one second? I love, yeah. Um, you know, the first thing that I loved about it and I think is noteworthy is that you reached out because I remember uh, just in my own journey, it was a big moment when I got to the place where I finally uh, realized that when I'm going through something, uh, I can actually shed the self-reliance thing and the, I need to work this all out alone and actually reach out to my brothers and reach out to people and it just became this incredible practice because I just, it was not something I had access to until, you know, I really started doing the work when, when I feel stuck, when I feel unsure, when something's happened that I don't have experience with, you know, I just used to perseverate on it and try and crack some code. And I didn't really know that I should just reach out and like have a place to start a dialogue with someone or just open it up. So, um, you know, I just thought the reaching out is kind of part of what we're learning to do together. Like we don't have to do this alone. Like something's happened and I'm going to share it. I want to open up to it. So even that, like receiving that, I felt uh, really lucky, you know, that you were reaching out and that, and that opened the door for me to know that, you know, when something comes up in my life, uh, I can reach out to you. Yeah. Thank you. No. And I think that's important. Like it was one of the first times in my life where I'm like, I need help. And I acknowledged it and didn't, like you said, didn't try to figure it out myself. Um, such a guy thing, right? Such a guy thing. Yeah. And, and what happened on the, the, the other side of that was some of the, you know, the, the most beautiful medicine. And the reason I want to share it is because I think there's so much in there in your response for people to take away from their own experience and how we're brought up to, especially as men fix things. And so many times things don't need to be fixed. They just need to, you know, someone needs to be seen and that space needs to be held. And um, yeah, so I, and thanks for, for acknowledging that as well. Okay. This was sent, oh, this was actually on my birthday. I sent this to you. So if two days after Jake broke his jaw, he was heading into surgery three or four days later. He said, Boyd, on Friday, Jake was playing football with some friends and fractured his jaw. I knew this was going to be tough, but I didn't think it was going to be in the first sentence. But yeah, it just kind of takes me back to that moment. 
uh, and fractured his jaw when he ran into a pole. Fractured in two places. Surgery on November 16th. Lots of screws, plates, etc. Jaw wired shut for four to six weeks. He's a senior in high school, just starting basketball season. Basketball is his love. He just finished his fall season, is playing so well. He's got a girlfriend. He's been in a great place emotionally. With this, no basketball until January. His mouth wired shut, and he has to deal with all that comes with it. It's a lot for him to process. It's a lot for me to process. I'm super sad when I think about it. I feel... <clears throat> I feel like his heart is broken right now. As his dad, it's really hard to witness his pain. I'm worried about him. This is a lot for him to manage. I want to create enough space for all the pain and sadness and anger and everything else to exist. <laughs> How do I support him in working through this trauma? With all its layers. I just get the sense that there's a lot hanging in the balance with this. And I'd love some of your insight into this. Much love, brother, Cal. You know, yeah. You know, you were really the first person. I gotta say that the only person I thought to reach out to, because I, I just know the work you've done. I know the trauma you've been through yourself. And I think there's just so much in that wounded healer energy, something that really resonates with me. And, um, you know, I don't care what the courses are you've taken or who you've studied from or the books. It's not about that. Those things are helpful but when you have the experience and then you can layer those things on and have done that work, then it really becomes potent. And that's again, the only, the only person that I felt could hold a space for me in a way that I needed to be held. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I also know, you know, that the year before uh, this happened, we had been, you know, lining up time for me to come and be here in Austin with you and trying to work out how we could spend time together. And, and I remember the, the limiting factor was Jake's season, you know, in terms of your availability, because you were so committed to supporting him on that journey. So it was like, you know, these dates, basketball dates, and that's my... That's what I'm doing. I'm supporting my boy in these places, you know? So it was, uh, yeah, I'm just acknowledging how deeply you were involved in, in that process with him, you know? So heartbreak. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, yeah, that is important to acknowledge, especially for, for where I had come from, you know, you know, I've been to a lot of his different sporting events and supported him in that way. But I, I finally stepped into this space with him I just loved watching him. I didn't care if he scored 30 points or what. I just loved watching him with the men out there, his boys and his interacting with the coach and him competing against these other guys. And I just had such an appreciation. And I, I, I had the, you know, the, the, the awareness that there is a finality to that. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's like being in that space. And then all of a sudden it, it could actually be over just like that was hard because I, I had, there was so much joy that that brought me, you know, it wasn't from living through him vicariously. I've had my own experience. Right. And yeah, I think, yeah. uh, yeah. So thank you for that. So this is, this is the response I got. Hey brother, 
Firstly, I'm sorry to hear about Jake's accident. That really sucks. I would say separate, separate your process from his. Give yourself the space you need to process your pain and sadness. Be aware of projecting your own story onto him. It's okay to hold both the human place, whereas his dad, you just really, you're just really mad and sad in the higher vision place where you know this experience can be a doorway into more growth for both him and you. Don't rush to that higher vision place. Take the time to grieve the injury and its consequence to the season. Next, I would say ask him what he needs from you. Rather than assume anything, ask him. Give him the responsibility of learning to feel for and ask for what he needs in this process. I mean, God, there's just so much in this. Ask yourself where suffering and disappointment has grown you in your own life. Sit in it until you can really feel the place where you would never step in and try and care, take someone's suffering and rob them of the way it would grow them. When you start to put both the letting yourself feel and the insight into how suffering grows us at times together, your energy will become full of both compassion and higher knowing. This he will feel, no words. He will feel your softness and clarity. More practically, I would find lots of great stories about how high-level athletes handle injury and setbacks and let him sit in those stories. Injury is a defining part of growing as an athlete in person. Tell him the story of healing stronger. Help him tell the story of healing stronger. Ah, man, I bet you already have done all this. I can jump on a chat if you need. I'm here. Much love, Boyd. Wow. It's a beautiful exchange, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I would high five us. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Boyd and Cal. Well, <laughs> And the, the one, some of the biggest parts for me were don't, don't project how you feel onto him. It's yeah. so common as parents to, you're feeling all this and, and you just, you know, it's almost like when a kid scrapes their knee and mom or dad's like, oh my God, are you okay? Versus, yeah, are you, you know, like what's, hey, look at that. Like just, and they don't go into that story of, oh, I'm not supposed to be okay because I hurt myself. And, and, and that really, that really landed for me. And then the, you know, ask him what he needs. And then that gives him the responsibility to actually articulate that. So it's an exchange for both of us to really learn. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in there, right? Uh, but the thing that really stands out to me is, is, is the point of, like movement one is to grieve your own feelings and do your own work because what he's going to feel from you is the energy that you're holding. If you're holding uh, the story and the, and the heartbreak um, of this has been a disaster, this is the worst thing, and you go to him with that energy, and it, it starts to pull him into that field. You know, there's that beautiful saying, when you, when you suffer, I don't, it's not my turn. Like there's enough suffering in life. So you get yourself really clean. Uh, you allow yourself to grieve as a father. You allow yourself to like feel the loss and pain. And in actually letting yourself feel that, it starts to move. Um, and then you start to access 
um, an energy that exactly that starts to pull him into the right story, you know, starts to pull him into, into the way of sitting with this and holding this. And, and you're holding multiple places at the same time, which is almost the essence of what we would think of as the contemplative mind, mm. you know, um, a place where a number of things can be true at the same time. And that is really the work of any practitioner of inner work. You know, you can see the, the upset father, you can feel his pain, you can understand um, that there may be a deeper reason in this, you can understand there might be growth in this, and you're actually making the space in yourself to hold all of those parts. That's the contemplative mind, as I said, and that is now you're sitting in a much deeper place than just the story of this is the worst thing that's happened and, um, and pulling the, him into, into like holding that story with you then. Because it becomes a weird energetic. Exactly as you said, the kid falls over, the parents all go, this is the worst thing, are you okay? And the kid falls over and you go, you good. Now it's harder to tell the story of the, the worst thing just happened. Yeah. Um, and now, and then, you know, as the second movement, you start, to, you start to see that when your energy is clean, there's actually, there's gifts in this. There's, there's beautiful things to emerge. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to hear from you how that, how that started to, how that started to, how you started to feel that in your interactions. Yeah, well, it really, it, it, it was like an undoing of that, of that masculine need to fix something. Yeah. And, and just what you're saying, like, if I come in with this, like, how can I fix this? Then it's saying that there's a problem here. Yeah. And that's another story. Yeah. And A, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing I can fix. And then when you go deeper into that, as you said, like, why would you want to rob him of this experience of growth? The things already happened. Like, wh- how, do we, how do we set a container where he can feel all that he needs to feel? I can feel all that I need to feel. And it's safe and it's accepted. And we're, we're just in it. We're just in the experience. You know, and I, one of the things I really gathered from that was just, being honest with him and not trying to, I wouldn't necessarily do this anyway, but not saying, you know, um, it's going to be great when you go back on the basketball court again and just, you know, you, and you're going to do this. And it's like, I held that for myself. Like I know, I know in the future he's going to be back on that basketball court. And it's going to be amazing. But to your point, I didn't rush to use that as any kind of like uh, distracting for what was actually happening. I held that for myself. And at one point, it was like right as he came out of surgery, we were at home and he was trying to drink water and he couldn't figure it out. And he's just in a state of helplessness and hopelessness that I've never experienced in my life. You know, here I am, I'm, I'm 49 and here my 17 year old kid has experienced something that even I can't speak to. And I just said, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine how hard this is for you, but whatever you need to do or feel or express, like just it's, it's all, it's here. We're here. Um, 
you know, and just even little things like, you know, I would sleep with him or Peyton would sleep with him at night and I would go check on him. Rather just assume he wants me there. I would ask, Hey, do you, do you want me to hang or would you like some, and it would just, it would vary from time to time. Sometimes he'd want me there. Sometimes he's like, you know, dad, I just want to be by myself. It's like, like just asking, what do you need? And he could tell me. Yeah. I mean, to me, what this is, as you're starting to talk, you know, the deeper lesson in all of this to me is like the essence of what starts to happen when we are willing to do inner work. You know, without inner work, there's no contemplation. Without inner work, um, there is just a story of drama and suffering. You know, and that's like level one. You know, a terrible thing happened to Jake and now, and we just stay there. But with inner work, we're able to start to drop into deeper levels. And we're able to be with ourselves, clean house in ourselves. And, you know, then what starts to happen is our energy starts to speak, you know, out the presence that we come to something. You're also not playing the role of fixer. You're not playing the role of um, needing to make it all right. You're not playing the role of cheerleader. You're coming to him with an open presence. You're listening. You're aware of your own suffering and where he's at. And you're just showing up and working with what's actually there in the moment without a screen of story over it. And, you know, most of us have a, we have, we have something pasted over what's actually happening. You know, we have, and, and then that's what we see. That story becomes what we think is going on. But inner work gives you access to that kind of authenticity where the story gives way to just an alive, active awareness, an awareness that is able to say, and shit, I mean, what guys get to say this? I don't know. I don't know what's happening right now, mm. but, you know, let me know what you need. It's just a much deeper place. And then what Jake feels, I suspect, is that authenticity of like, we're here, we're in this together now, as opposed to him sitting there saying, listening to you say everything's going to be okay if you're not actually sure that it is. Yes. And then something in him senses like, why is this guy being like this? I know him well. He's my father. I know his energy. And, he, you know, he's trying to make this all okay. And, and it's not. So the authenticity actually builds trust. It's, start, it's storyless. Um, and nothing beats presence without a role uh, and, a, and a story pasted over it. Now you're just working with what's really happening there. And, you know, if you look closely into it, you see a guy who broke his jaw, who has like two incredibly loving parents who want to look out for him. So he has where, you know, out of, if you, if you look through the story of it's his senior year, this is his time, you know, this is the thing that gives him joy. Everything's fucked up now. This is, everything's ruined. The year's ruined. The season's ruined. If like you drop under that, you see a guy who got the best medical treatment. You see um, two incredibly loving parents who would ask him, what do you need? Um, you know, do you want us to sleep with you? You would see him in a safe environment. You would see um, him working out via the stillness and awareness of, a, of his parents around him, how this could be a growth experience. And that's where we start to see that reality is kind. You know, there's what's actually happening couldn't be kinder 
better, more held, and you could miss it all in the story of Jake's broke his jaw, every, the year is ruined. You could look through, you know, look through that frame at everything and it could be he can't drink water, uh, he's not going to be able to talk to his girlfriend, and you could just miss the true kindness that is kind of always there if we can for a moment slow down enough to drop under the egoic story. Yeah. And, and the more inner work you do, the more you start to inhabit that place under the egoic story. And your life, I mean, I, we always joke in my family because, you know, in my family there were kind of two, there were, we've had two lives. There was a life um, of intense drama. And then there was a second life where, you know, there is very little drama because there's very little story of drama. Mm. We, are at, we are largely aligned with whatever is happening. We don't fight what's happening. And that's not to say we don't have autonomy, we don't do things, but we don't, we don't fight it, you know? Um, and so, you know, like, I'll try and link this all back, but, <laughs> you know, running a safari business, COVID hits, absolute wipeout. Um, financial wipeout, travel wipeout, like lockdown wipeout, you know, as hard a hit as industry as you could imagine, no end in sight. South Africa's bad at getting their vaccines rolled out. So there could be a story of like, this is the worst thing ever that couldn't be worse. And we could dwell in that. And as leaders in our community, we could start to terrify everyone around us with that story. Mm. We could start to scare ourselves or we could love what is and realize that um, when we actually look closely, we had the resources from the land we needed. We have a community that we've invested deeply in building family and supportive structures who are willing to pull together. Um, we could work out that we could batten down the hatches um, and, and make it through the year. And so there's, again, like we could, we could enjoy a silent reserve with no planes flying over bringing tourists or no tourist trucks out. So I just think, I guess the, the essence of it is like what happens when we inhabit the place under the story of drama. And the other thing that starts to happen there is without the story of drama, your decision-making is so on point mm. compared to, you know, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to take this? How does this go? There's, there's enough stillness that you, you're able to sit in this dramaless state aware um, and make great decisions and not make decisions out of fear not make decisions out of panic. Um, so, you know, it's a really, it's a magical place. And, and to have your drama meter reset is a wonderful thing in life. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's so many ways to experience almost anything that's happening. And, uh, and to be aware of what story we're telling as it's happening. Yeah. And I just, it's, it's beautifully said. One of the things that came to mind too is just, how so often people have thrown on top of the story. It's so 2020, of course this happened in 2020, right? And that for us, that never came up with Jake with the jaw. And, and I think just cause we were able to have that perspective, you know, very early on, but there's, there's something that you're talking about too, that there's just a true, like what's true about what's happening right now. And as you said, that builds this trust within the relationship of Jake and I, Jake and, you know, his mom. And, and, you know, I was telling you, uh, 
as you got here a few days ago, that he's, he's already risen to that kind of higher place, that growth through this experience where he has a deep gratitude, I feel like, just for life right now. And I had shared with, with him the other day that there's just something about the way he carries himself that is so different than he ever has in his entire life. There's just an ease. He's just cool without being like the douchey cool. It's like he's just got an ease. Well, I mean, he's 17 years old and he just had an encounter with, um, you know, the physicality of life, the corporeal nature of life. And he's coming through it. And he's coming through it because he's, you know, being held in a space of you're strong enough to do this, guide yourself, know what you need, ask for it. And no one has held him as a victim. No one has held him as um, in, a, in a drama. No one has held him in weakness and try to put kit gloves around him. Mm. He's been handed himself, you know, and we're all initiated by life. And I think that this is his initiation. Like, you're going to have to go through this and you're, you're going to go through it in a way that opens you, connects you more with yourself and also gives you a sense of how strong you are, or you're going to go through it, um, kicking and screaming as a victim. And you know what? Here's the great thing. You get to choose, you get to choose. And that's where the consciousness in the parenting becomes really amazing. I mean, when we coach parents, we always say, you know, your kids are not, it doesn't matter what you say to them. What they are really feeling is the energy in the house. So you can give long diatribes on mm. how we do it around here. <laughs> you, can, you can have the best ideals and espouse them. It means shit if the house doesn't feel that way truly authentically. Because you live in a house with people, you know the energy field of that house. And that energy field is stronger than our ideals that we like to dish out you know yes. and, and if and if anyone wants to say this guy's talking shit about there being an energy field in the house well i invite you to have a fight with your partner and get into bed with the lights out i mean the voltage that you can feel being emitted there you know like you don't have to say a word like you can feel what's going on in that house and the kids are even more sensitive yeah you know so what type of an atmosphere is in the house and when they're interacting with you what type of energy are they getting um and I found it to be a phenomenal thing, even living alone in the tree. You know, one of the things that I discovered is it's, it's hilarious how hard it is to hold a story in solitude. You know, like <laughs> you get in, like one day I dropped the, um, I dropped the lid of a trunk on my fingers, <sighs> and I, ah, got into like this massive rage and it just passes. <laughs> it just passes because I don't get to show anyone oh. my sulky way, <laughs> yeah. you know, which, which I would normally like drop into because like, if I sulk enough, maybe someone will give me attention. <laughs> maybe someone will get how angry I am. Like we do a lot of stuff to just show, you know? Yes. And with no one around, you move through, like, you move through <laughs> stuff so fast. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. You know, my sadness at, at a certain point, I feel super alone. Mm, okay, well, let's move now, you know? <laughs> it's harder to hold on to. And it's not like, wow. a, it's not a lack of depth. So, you know, this, this experience for me is, it's in the same place. Like, you know, you want to you make transformation in your kids' lives. 
uh, do your work. Find your way to the storyless, clear, present awareness that is free of trauma, that is free of roles, and that allows you to show up open, uh, aware, and authentic. Because if you, you know, here's another classic, right? Okay, um, how does a, let's think of a classic way that trauma transmits. Um, okay, here's one. Let's say that you had injured yourself in your final year of college sport or high school sport. And now you start rolling up to him with the trauma of what that time meant to you, how you missed out on you know, getting the girls who cheered at the sports game, how it was your final season, how you, you never got to shine in the way you could have in those years or, you know, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. So trauma starts to, you know, so now you show up with that unresolved in yourself. Now you can't help but tell the story. You know, Jake, this is it, man. You know, these things happen and, and you start to hold the energy of you've lost something. Because yeah. that's what he feels because you feel like you lost something. Oof. We start to show up with the role that, um, that I have to fix this. And he feels that something needs to be fixed. He can't just be with this. You know, and you're telling him, you can say anything to him, but he feels like the energy I'm getting from this guy is that it should be different to the way it is. And that's, we suffer when how it is and how we think it should be are, are different. Yes. When we align ourselves with what is unfolding, um, and sometimes I, you know, that can be really challenging, you know, to get our heads around. And it's not to say that what's unfolding is right, but are we going to change it by being at war with it? Or can we, can we be at peace with it so that we can make autonomous decisions from within it, from a still clean, calm, awake place? Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, so I crashed your car yesterday. Dude, I, you literally, I was about to say that. Yeah. This was, Yeah. Yeah, so you know, South African comes over to stay with his friend. Uh, first ice storm Austin's had in a hundred years. <laughs> you know, overconfident safari guide is yes, I'll take your Yukon because I got to go to my meeting. You know, <laughs> uh, get in, drive out, and in you know I'm aware, so I'm feeling the road. It feels snowy. It feels good though. The car's handling really well, um, and in fact, I'm kind of impressed. Like. I can drive safely, four-wheel drive in the snow, and I'm feeling good. And you've gone through some turns and some down some hills, yeah. so you've had some terrain. Test, I've tested it out. I've, I've felt it out. And, and, you know, I've got a little anxiety about it, but it's feeling good. Go up a hill, uh, coming down, round a corner, touch the brake, and it's an ice rink. And, you know, before I know it, I've gone through 90 degrees. Um, I'm, you know, I'm on the brakes, like touching them because someone told me that, you know, yeah. touch them in eyes. <laughs> yeah. Eventually at one stage I'm going 180. So I get on the gas to try and like traction myself. And before I know it, bang, you know, I'm a smash into someone's driveway. Someone's mailbox goes flying. A tree catches me. I dent some dude's Mercedes. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I just get hit by this in massive wave of you are such an idiot. You've ruined it. You've messed up your friend's car. Like you've just, you've, you've gone out in the snow. You've screwed it up on every level. You've made a bad decision. You've ignored the conditions, you know, just like a tsunami of what an idiot. You've ruined everything, you know, and it goes to that level instantly, right? Well, I, I just want to 
I want to, the, the text I got from you, I was on a call and when I got a text from Boyd, when he was on his way over to the meeting, I'm like, this can't be good. I'm putting together the fact that the, why would he be texting me? And it's, there's a lot of snow out there. Bro, I fucked up, slipped off the road. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, shit, man. And I'm just like, like, oh my God. I was like, the story I'm, you were telling yourself. I'm a 37 year old man. I was a 14 year old kid. Like, I'm going to tell my dad I crashed the car, you yes! know? which is my trauma. Like, I'd, yeah. I'd done that. Yes. Um, and just this feeling of like, uh, you know, uh, this perfectionistic feeling of like, I've made a huge error. You know, coming from the safari business, you know, I guide people. It's about making good decisions. That's sort of the, that's my role around safety things. I got to make good decisions reading the terrain. And I have just got like in my own area of expertise, I've just got it so wrong. And there's just so much judgment and I can feel, I just feel like a fool, you know, and there's this whole story of like, I've messed up royally. So that's, that's my frame. And, you know, I'm feeling terrible about it. Now I pull the frame away of you're the stupidest guy in the world, you know, driving in a snowstorm in Austin, Austin's not prepared for it. I pull the frame away and what do we actually find? You know, we find that, um, I slipped off the road in a place where no one else got injured. Okay. I, I hit a cement post box, the cement post box broke at its base and gave, and it both arrested uh, the car on the edge of a, a deep kind of ravine, hmm. but it also moved the energy because of the way it broke. So it, it took the energy and gave to so stop the car, but also moved, you know, like very kind of unique. The guy whose Mercedes I bumped, it's a fender bender. Um, and then as I slowed down and watched that situation again, you know, here come people out of the houses. Are you okay? What do you need? All that matters is that you're okay. Are you all right? Would you like to use our phones? Would you like to come in and get warm? Uh, can we do something for you? You know, so the frame away, what is there? There's a friendly universe. There's a vehicle that's been caught and arrested. Um, there's people who are caring. You know, I, I call you up and I'm like, this is what's happened. And it's like, all we care about is that you're okay. And I was just so aware of the disparity between, you know, the story that arose yeah. and the story I was telling and what actually had happened, you know, no harm, no fun, not my best moment. You know, I can also, I can also learn from it. I can sit in that. I can reflect. I can say like, you know what, maybe I don't want to, as a South African, you know, <laughs> no snow <laughs> might want to like take a little time to like be a little circumspect there. <laughs> um, but, but no harm, no fun. And it took me a while to work through it and just see like, other than my story, everything's okay. Everything's actually more than okay. Uh, so it was just another moment where, you know, got to see that, got to, got to see that. And what I'm finding is, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been having waves of shame in bed, you know, about being such an idiot uh, three days afterwards. You know, it would have been like running through me. I would have, I would have been holding onto the story of, you know, that whole idea that there's two types of pain, clean pain and dirty pain. Mm. Clean pain is when you bang your foot and it's like, it hurts. Um, dirty pain is when you spend the next five years telling yourself that you're a clumsy idiot. Uh. You know? And, and just that, um, 
would have lain there in dirty pain. You know, oh, I messed up my friend's car. I, I do everything wrong. So having, you know, be in the, the work of doing inner work, you know, it's still there. I'm not like, I'm not just getting out in an enlightened state saying everything is fine, <laughs> but the period of suffering is shorter. Um, and car's still parked in a pretty precarious place. It ain't gone anywhere. It ain't going anywhere for a couple of days. Um, so that's, that's its own like fun thing to sit with, yeah. but you know, it's a, it was just another example of reality. Reality was kind. My story about it inflicted a bit of, you know, pain on myself. Yeah. And in, you know, here we are, we have power at the house where half of Austin doesn't have power. We're in a bit of a forced quarantine because you put our Yukon in a fucking ditch. <laughs> But it's so, it's for us, it's like so good. And, and yesterday we earnestly tried to get any tow truck company and they're like, where are you? We're like, Westlake. They're like, nope, because yeah. they can't risk it because they'll go in a ditch. Yeah. And I mean, right now it feels like any kind of a rescue operation could add to the, you know, the, could cascade. Now we could have a tow truck stuck in the, you know, it's like, it's got that type of vibe about it. Yes. And and we're Tuesday now and looking at the weather, it looks like possibly Friday, but most likely Saturday, we'll be able to make a move on it. Yeah. And, and it's, and when you, when you go to what could have happened and what did happen, you kind of glossed over the ravine part a little bit. I mean that you were fairly close to going ass over tea kettle. Yeah. That, I mean, it wasn't like a fall to your death, but it would have, it would have rolled the car. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I would have lived, but uh, that would have been, when you got that photo, that might've got your attention. <laughs> really hard to get a tow truck. Like in wheel spinning. <laughs> um, yeah, man. But again, like just a, a learning lesson and a, and a moment to, and I've had a few over the last little while. Um, you know, how much story are you telling? How much story do you tell in COVID? How much story, what's your story? Who would you be without your story? As, as Byron Katie says, yeah. who would we be without our story? Um, so I'm getting, you know, these opportunities start to arise to, to just see where you're at with your development along the way. They are opportunities, you know, and even for like, you know, Peyton and I, it's um, sure. I mean, first we obviously wanted to make sure you were okay. And we're not sitting here figuring, okay, how do we, how do we get, how do we get the car back? How do we get the car back? We made some phone calls yesterday, right? Like we said, but we're like, we're, there's no, there can be such a story around that. Like we need to get the car back so we can use it to go to Whole Foods when they open up and da 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 da. But there's, there's none of that. We're just like, uh, we probably get it Saturday. Okay. So we're here. We have this amazing snow. We've been working out. We've been in the sauna in the freaking 35 degree pool. We're about to go play with some gel blasters this afternoon. Like we're just hanging. We're enjoying blue ash farm, maple bourbon, having a volcano smoke with some tobacco, tea and herbs. I, I mean, mean, if you, you're going to crash your buddy's car and, uh, <laughs> And get locked in isolation in a snowstorm in Austin. This is the place to do it. I feel like it is. We got a hell of a record collection over there, uh, and we, the only the only bit of tension for you probably is that Petunia, our pig, has got something going on with you. That pig does not like me. The situation starts to go up again. Like you borrowed our car, you you know it can it can go south. It could be like oh you know don't don't worry about it, boy. We'll 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 get it out. And then I'm feverishly trying to get it out, right? Yeah. And it's like oh yeah. my god. 
Like that would, in, the words are, oh, but it's okay, boy. But the energy around it is just exactly what we were talking about exactly. before. It's just like, oh. Yeah, I can just feel it in the house that I, you know. Yes. So it's, been, it's been, you know, great to navigate that one. And well, and then it's just honestly just the, and I know you're still not all the way through it, I would say. So you're really fucking close. But like, for me, it's like, it feels so good to like, not worry about the, think about the economy. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, wow. I could think about this so differently. And in the past I might have, but I, I don't care. Wow. That feels good. Yeah. And I'm aware of like, if I can get, you know, the more I get through that story, the more it just becomes clear to me that when the time is right, what I, what I, what feels integrous to me and, and lined up to me is that I want to get the, I want to get the situation resolved, you know? And that feels like, but I don't want to do it in a way that is dangerous. I don't want to be in a panic, um, calling everyone, getting uh, like paying some tow truck driver 300 extra, you know, on the side so that he can slip his truck into the ravine to try and like get this thing done, which is fix it, to fix, fix it, it, get it sorted out, you know? So it's, there's enough uh, stillness to say like when it's safe, when it's right, deal with that issue. That's my work to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, I just think there's a piece in there. I mean, I had one other thing, you, you know, about my dad. Yeah, I'd love to share. Um, I'd love for you to share that experience. Yeah, so it's another in, in the same theme we're in here. Uh, my grandfather died when my dad was 15. And that story was part of our family mythology, you know, the sudden heart attack. Yeah. And so as a kid, you know, I knew that story. And it, I was always, I, I lived with this real fear that my dad was going to have a heart attack and suddenly be gone. And he's this really amazing guy. And, you know, we have this deep friendship and, and deep connection and we've done our work together and we've moved through some things. And so it's, it's deep and I, and it's been a deep fear for me my whole life. Uh, and I've, you know, run the scenarios through my head. I've thought about how I would handle it. It's been this big psychological space. Like, you know, there's a bit of family history, hereditary stuff. And, and so it's lived inside of me in a very deep way. And towards the end of COVID year 2020, it happened. Um, and, you know, what was amazing about it is just like all of these scenarios, all of this fear that I had run, run over it, all the worry that it's caused me over the years, when it actually happened, I went in the room and I was storyless and there were just things that needed to happen and I knew what to do uh, and got him in the car, you know, the full situation going on, um, got him to the hospital, you know, got him through the process and he, he survived it. He had a triple bypass. Um, and when I spoke to him afterwards, you know, he said to me, this is now, this is post bypass, post everything. He says to me, uh, you know, Boyd, I remember walking on the beach and then I remember uh, waking up in the hospital. Hmm. And all of my years worrying about the heart attack, the suffering, the pain, what like this would be, he missed it. He actually missed it. The universe was so kind that he, in a way, uh, he obviously had to rehab and things, but the fear, all the story about what it would mean, that's not what happened when it eventually happened. 
And that was deep for me to just, that's the, that's the key of what I'm trying to say. Everything I, the whole story I told and, and run that fear through my body and run that adrenaline through my body over the years and run that fear through me. I'm going to lose my dad. Uh, it's, you know, it could happen at any moment. It could happen suddenly. I Oof. need to get the most out of this. When it actually happened, all there was, was a kind of knowing of what to do. All there was, was, you know, I don't want to say peace, but it was nothing like the story I'd been telling about it. And it was, it was touch and go. But again, I just got to see like how in the moment without a story, you know, we get, we got him to the car. We had a car. There was a hospital nearby. There was a doctor there who had the right blood thinner. There was an ambulance that came. There was, um, there were so many things that had to happen and, and they happened. And, you know, I screamed at the nurse and she screamed back at me. Yeah. Uh, and she was right when she told me to get out and go sit down. And, and the years of story gave way to actually just moment to moment, we had everything we needed. Um, and that's, that's my practice now is to just slow down enough. And it requires slowing down to ask myself, you know, like what's actually happening here? And mostly what you find is that, uh, you know, you end up sitting somewhere, drinking some water, and even when it's not okay, you're okay. You know, it takes work to really sit in that and see it, but everything's mostly okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's going to trigger some, you know, saying that is some people will be like, fuck you, sometimes it's not okay. Like so many people have suffered during COVID. There's so much suffering. There's people have lost their jobs. And, you know, I think that that is, it's important to acknowledge that there, there has been that suffering. But in your own life, um, when you take it down to your life day to day and you sit closely and watch, there is an opportunity to see um, like how much does that story line up with what's happening right now? You know, and I just think it's work worth doing. And sometimes you might say, well, this is as bad as I think it is. And that's okay too. But just why not slow down enough to ask, like, you know, how bad is this? Let's take the story off of it. Let's take the, let's take my perception off of it and actually just said, what's actually happening right now? What's actually happening? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting for me is one of the things that came to mind in, in, I, you know, I know about how your, your dad and uncle came to, um, you know, Londa Losey. But as you're telling the story like that, you know, his dad passing away was such an initiation for him and like what that gave to him at that age, the growth, like how could, you know, again, like I'm thinking, how can Jake as a 17 year old hold all this? Well, that you just end up holding it if you're given the opportunity. You know, you rise to it and, and it's such a, it's fascinating, right? Because here's, here's my grandfather having a heart attack and my father at age 15 being left, you know, dad gone, um, uh, you know, greatest trauma of his life, like a huge loss. And they were, they loved each other, you know, they, so huge trauma and it gives birth to this drive in him to not lose this property. Mm. So they start this ramshackle safari business. Now, in some ways, out of that, out of that, the worst thing that happened, um, 
you know, kind of comes this journey uh, and a beautiful journey at that. There are probably over, you know, at this stage, probably over 150 marriages that come directly out of staff who've come to Londolozi um, to work there and have met each other and fallen in love. There are probably, you know, there are so many kids who've come out of those marriages. There are so many lives that have come out of people coming together at Londolozi. There are so many experiences. And so you could look at the loss of, of my father's father and say it was the worst thing that happened. Or you could look at it and say that moment produced so much beauty down the line that it's almost, it's astounding. And so inside of suffering, we don't actually know what's being given ever. And usually something is being given. Suffering is so often a doorway into transformation, into growth, into awareness. And, and you know, we shouldn't rush, rush to fix it or rush to get Jake not to suffer because we don't know what seeds in, of growth, of transformation, of beauty are sown inside that very suffering. And so if you just try to take it away or rush or just rush to make something feel good, what do you want? We don't just make you, give you something that's going to make you feel better. It's like, we don't know what that suffering is giving. Um, we don't know what seeds of joy are sown in that suffering. Um, we don't know what seeds of transformation are sown in there. But all of this stuff, if, you know, if it's landing on you, like bullshit, if it's landing on you like, uh, like words, I get that. You can only start to like mess with these places when you slow down enough to start looking really, you know, otherwise it is just words like, Oh, don't suffer. Like, fuck you. You know, I am suffering. Uh, it takes it. You got to sit in it. You got to contemplate, you got to develop that contemplative mind. Otherwise it is just, it's annoying words. And I remember, you know, at times when I was suffering and people would say, you know, just try and be more aligned with what is like, you, you don't know what's going on with me. But as you slow down and deepen and as you can hold your suffering and the awareness of it inside of a mind that can make space for the fact that you're hurting and, you know, that you wish it wasn't happening and that it is happening, uh, that's where transformation happens. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in like, trying to work out how to grow in that space myself. Mm. Uh, and it's just, it seems like work worth doing, uh, even if it's because I feel like the more that I practice sitting in all of those parts at the same time, the more that I practice slowing down and not rushing it, the more I practice asking myself what's happening here, actually happening. Um, the more my life changes and uh, the more at ease I become. Yeah, dude. So well said. And it was feel like it was about a year ago that I, I, I really started to feel what you're talking about with accepting what is, you know, it's a big thing that, you know, is part of Ram Dass's teachings and that's where it really landed for me a year ago. But it's like, I think about the, you know, the Yukon going into the, the ditch. It's like, God I, I shouldn't have, right. You start out with the, I shouldn't yeah. have driven. Okay. Yeah. But you did. So now, and it's like when we start to play, like I shouldn't have, and then it becomes the suffering just, it, it just unwinds all that versus, okay, I did drive. It actually was going well. 
And I, I may have hit the only piece of ice that was on a downhill and there was literally nothing I could do. Like it, it, it happened. It's what happened. Not as you said, what a story we want to play kind of around that. And I think that that is such a, it's one of those things, right? Boy, it's so simple, but it's so hard to really understand it. I mean, I've been reading about that concept for so long and it didn't land for me about a year ago. I was like, and I still lose track of that, right? For yeah. sure. But like when I feel it, it's like, oh, this is just what's happened. That's the truth. That's reality. And what, what, what's the course of action? And again, we kind of got into like, is there a fixing or is it just to hold space for what has happened and not blame? To me, it's like developing the capacity to sit in all sides of it compassionately. That's what inner work does. When you address your trauma, you know, there's that whole thing, like trauma replicates itself. Um, until you address it, it will manifest itself into your life continuously. In some way, it almost like recreates itself. You know, it's where, um, you know, people who've been rejected are so defensive going into things um, that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because people feel that energy of you watching for where you're going to reject me and no one wants to open to that. So then the rejection plays out. Yes. You know, the fear of being abandoned. So you start to hold on so tight to people that they want space from you all the time. Um, we do this, you know, we all have our versions of the way that that trauma is in us. So until you can get awareness around it and start to notice what you're doing, uh, it's what you bring. Mm. Uh, and so we got we to gotta watch for that. If we're incredibly self-judgmental uh, and we have a voice inside of our head that is just like such a deeply developed critic because we were never good enough at a certain time in our life and it was said to us, so that voice became internalized, then everywhere you go, it doesn't matter what's happening, that voice is running. You know, so inner work is to identify those things and start to shift them. If we think that in the space of roles, that we're valuable because my hmm. value here is because, yeah. you know, then we're never actually in the moment. We're just trying to bring our value to it. When sometimes, you know, my value is, is that I, I can, um, I can fix things. Yeah. You know, you know, now, now everything's a nail to that hammer. Yes. Yeah. So all of this work is just building those awarenesses and the more you build them, that's a weird thing, you know, in, any kind of trauma work, any kind of role work, you know, starting to see it first is the first movement. Mm -hmm. Like starting, like the awareness that, you know, five years ago, if that had happened to Jake, it just would have been cheerlead, fix, make it okay. Yes. That's what I do. Yeah, rinse, repeat. Yeah, cheerlead, fix, make it okay. What do you need? Let's get you, let's get you sorted out. Yeah. Um, there's no space to actually have a more whole encounter with yourself. And for that to translate. Um, that's why I'm, you know, I, that's why I'm into this work because it's, it, it just keeps showing me it's work worth doing. Yeah. Uh, it's work worth doing in the family. It's work worth doing, uh, in the world. It's, it's just worth doing. It, it changes you. Um, yeah. So I don't know how I got on that. Tangent. Yeah. I love that you got on that tangent. Um, in the, the trauma, the thing that came to me, the, the trauma replicating itself, it's like when you buy that 
that new car, right? You bought a Tesla and now you're seeing Teslas all over the place. It's like, once you identify with it, you'll yeah. see it everywhere. And it's yeah. the same type of thing, right? If you're. Yeah. I mean, that's that whole thing of, you know, the world is not as it is. It's as we believe it to be. And so that starts to, you know, when I've been rejected everywhere I go, that's what happens to me. I know. And where I've been abandoned, that's what I see. Um, so when we start to shift those things in ourselves, the world starts to change. And that's the great joke of the mystics that um, there are many worlds and every world is perceived through uh, a point of consciousness inside of a human being, the mind. Uh, and if you really start to change that, the world actually starts to change. It starts, the, things around you start to change. Uh, and, you know, Carl Jung said the same, you know, he, to me as a psychologist, he was coming to the mystic through like such a rational and like an intellectual firepower. But he was saying the same thing, what is unresolved in you uh, and unconscious in you will manifest in your world around you all the time. Mm -hmm. So again, you clean that out, the world starts to actually change around you. You start to let go of the belief of, of whatever you're carrying by bringing awareness to it, by watching it, by starting to notice it, uh, the world actually starts to change around you. That's a, that's a great um, transition into the world around us right now. But before we get into that, because I really want to get your take on that, we've had some great conversations about it. Can you share what you, you shared with me earlier today about um, the woman who had been in the hospital, had the story around it and how, how Byron Katie just, just, kind of just pulled the plug on that entire story. Well, it was just, a, it was a great example to what we were talking to with Jake too is, so there's a woman called Byron Katie, who's, a, you know, one of my primary teachers. She had an awakening experience in 1984 and has been totally aligned with what is ever since then. Um, she had what they call in awakenings, like a sudden awakening. Um, it was, and it's been totally abiding and she hasn't suffered since 1984. She hasn't, uh, Whatever is happening, she is at one with. And she's, she's storyless and she sees it all as kind. Um, so she's working with a woman who's been admitted to hospital for some kind of pain issue. And the woman is, you know, deep, deep in a story of this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And she goes, okay, I've been in the hospital now for two weeks and, um, oh, it's so difficult being in the hospital. And Katie just goes, uh, do they bring you food every now and again when you ask for it? She goes, yes, they do. Do they give you medicine? Yes, they do. Uh, do, um, do people come and visit you to check that you're okay? Yes, they do. And just in, by asking these questions, she started to dismantle the story of suffering and started to say like, you know, you have pain. You're in a place where you're being cared for you're being brought food, you're lying in a bed. And how much less would you suffer if you started to notice those things mm. rather than just the story of the hospital is the worst place in the world? And I get it. I mean, I'm not someone who likes hospitals, but if you, again, you slow down enough, you know, something bad might be happening, but a lot of good things are happening. And the story of suffering is creating more suffering. And that's where it becomes interesting is how much are we suffering just because we think this is not where I should be. This is not how it should be happening. Something different should be happening. I shouldn't be here. 
but you are there. Mm. You, know? you know, imagine the depth of suffering if you could not have got to the place of this is what's happened to Jake in this year. If you had stayed in, this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. It's dirty pain. And it could have been six weeks of you as his beloved dad who loves to watch him play just inside of this funk of what had happened. Or, you know, this is what's happened. And how do we sit with this? How do we grow with this? It's two choices. That's it. It's a, it's a div divergence of the path in the woods. Mm. You know, and one place goes to a dark part of the woods where there's a lot of suffering and the other takes you to a place where you can, where it's, it doesn't have to be okay, but you're not totally running the story of suffering. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love her work. <laughs> so good. So it's not to throw a story on top of this, but it, I think objectively it's a bit of a shit show out there in the world right now. I think there is a lot of uh, really cognitive dissonance about what the hell is going on. What's true. What's not true. There's, there's smart people that have completely different opinions and um, there are one study that says this, a study that refutes it. There's, it's hard for people to make sense. And there are a lot of good people out there that, that are feeling helpless. Like I, I just want to do the right thing. And then they do what they think is the right thing. And then there, there's a whole army of people that are telling them that they're bad. And how fast did that happen? Dude. Yeah, just like with any kind of consensus just disappeared. Um, any kind of sense of solidarity, any kind of sense of, uh, you know, in all directions. Yeah. And um, yeah, oh, man, it just happened so fast. That's it. It's, it's, there's this divisiveness yeah. along so many different lines right now that um, is, is really, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm a bit um, isolated from it. Just being in this community here in Austin, it's a very, you know, I don't want to say it's, it hasn't been affected. There have been people here who have been deeply affected by what's happened, but I think that the community at large has been very supportive and understanding and tried to really work with this last year as an opportunity for change into how we want to move forward in our individual lives and our collective lives and like what's important to us. But like my question to you, I guess, is like what gives you hope that with all the unrest and uncertainty uh, of what's happening, that we're, we are going to be okay. We're going to be better than ever. Or, you know, I, I assume that's how you feel just based on our conversations, but. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I think that there's a lot more to come in terms of, you know, high levels of difficulty in the world. Um, so, and what do we have control over? You know, to me, we have, control over our own state of consciousness as this starts to unfold. Um, and so where, where my mind always goes, I'm a believer in the pockets of light. You know, I believe that all over the world, there is a transformation in consciousness happening and all of the divisiveness that we see the institutional kind of meltdown, um, the structures of society starting to radically fail in certain areas. Um, all of that movement and all of that sense of like, where's this going, global warming, the destruction, it doesn't account for, the thing that it doesn't account for is for a large collective awakening uh, and a radical change in consciousness. And so what I've become interested in 
is the idea that all over the world, there will start to be pockets of awakening. People who uh, decentralize in certain ways, they turn to each other for community. They start to get close to a tangible way of living again. Um, they start to have a sense of what's actually valuable to them. They start to have a sense of doing work that feels more connected. They start to be mindful and consciousness uh, conscious about where their food comes, what they give their time to, what they give their attention to, who they have around them, um, what they care about collectively. And I think that as, as those groups start to form, uh, they will look to each other and a state of consciousness that they create with each other, which will be critical um, to holding, uh, holding a, a certain level of light and frequency as this thing gets really dismantled. But it's going to require that, that we find the others, um, that everyone does their work, and that you be careful about not buying into any collective group stories. You keep it close to you. You keep, you keep it valuable. You, you see the, the humane value, the sense of what we call in South Africa, the Ubuntu in all things, that people are not people without other people. We have to unify in, in pockets of shared humanity and see the essence of people. So I'm a big one for, you know, like it's time now to do the work of the village consciousness. And that work always begins with individuals and it begins with your own work. And people who start to go inward and start looking for the integrity uh, and the integrity and the knowing that is inside of them, you know, they start to become less materialistic. They are naturally drawn, drawn to nature. They become contemplative. There's a natural inclination towards service. There's a desire to uplift and heal. They become attuned to the healing force of life, life's natural inclination towards life and healing. And every, I'm lucky because everywhere I go, I drop into pockets all over the world where that is taking place. And it is that individual awakening that starts to become shared in groups of various sizes, one person, two person, 20 people, 40 people, with a shared sense of what's really valuable, connection, the connection that is really valuable, the, the work we really want to do, the creativity around building our community and holding our community. Um, that's what gives me a lot of hope. I, I don't have great hope for the political structures. I don't have you know, great hope for those things. I have hope for how they will be forced to change as more people find a, a way of living that is more aligned. And, and so that's kind of, that's always where I go with it. Um, and yeah, I just see, I, I'm seeing it all over. And it's what Paul Hawken, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, but calls, you know, the greatest unnamed social movement in history. Is that awakening to, it matters to me where my water comes from. It matters to me what I'm, where the food came from. It matters to me whom I'm, who I'm around. It matters to me um, what I give my time and attention to. Uh, that seems to be a place where there's an opportunity you know, for, for large-scale transformation, collective awakenings. And I think Eckhart Tolle has said never before. Um, it used to be that you know, an awakening would occur one in 10,000. And now there is a blooming of consciousness on the planet. And yeah, I think we also are going to have to teach ourselves to maintain 
a state of calm, uh, relaxed awareness. Because <laughs> you know, look how how quickly this thing goes south. Um, hundred a snowstorm we've never seen in a hundred years hits Austin. Power goes out, which means supply lines shut down, which means um, you know food people can't get to food. Um, grocery stores shut, start to shut down, and what is required, like at the most basic level. It has to warm up here in the next few days. Otherwise, everything falls apart, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and if it doesn't, you know, suddenly, you know, the 45% uh, of people in Austin who don't have power, as that goes on and it w if it were to get colder, now things are really happening. And COVID showed us the same thing. Like this, it's all going to change. How do we stay out of the story and maintain a state of calm, relaxed awareness because you're going to have to manage that. I, I mean, I know it's a bit of an edgy prophecy, but as we get more and more, you know, of, of the weather changing, of the world changing, maintaining calm amongst chaos is going to be an important type of activism. People are going to have to stay calm, stay relaxed, and out of that place be able to make good decisions. I think about a village consciousness. I think about decentralized communities starting to work out how to take care of each other, share with each other, um, grow with each other, be creative together because it's going to require creativity. Yeah. You know, th things are going to change. So you're going to have to be innovating in a very, uh, in a very like close to the, close to each other, share economy type of way. And, and then when, you know, when other things happen, like in California, what we've seen with the fires, you know, these are another, these are examples that are only going to get, there's only going to be more of that. Yeah. So how do we, in the face of chaos, become calm, band together, make decisions together that are, you know, and have a network of value through relationships? Mm, yeah, you know, and what's interesting, we, you and I were talking about this last night, whereas if you look at the news, you think that it's complete chaos everywhere and that everyone's having a horrible time. Um, but it's not generally the case. and. Uh, my friend JP Sears was on the podcast recently and he talked about this summer he went on a comedy tour and traveled literally from one coast to the other going from town to town. He's like, Cal, it was amazing. Like, it's not what I was experiencing. People were actually doing well. It's not again, don't get me wrong. I understand there've been a, a lot of businesses shut down and, and, and there's a whole you know, cascade of things that have happened to people, but generally it's, it's not as maybe as much unrest as we think. And I think that plays into what you're talking about. There are people, there are communities, there are these pockets of light, as you like to say, that are, are opening up, that are holding the space, that are getting more people involved. And it's like I had, uh, I was talking with Dell Big Tree the other day and he, his whole thing was like, look, once someone wakes up, like we don't lose them back to the other side, like you're just awake. And so it's a sticky side that, you know, so as these communities, these, these, um, kind of light warriors really gather, it starts to draw in others and they start to wake up and it starts to like, I think what you're talking about, we start to find a new way in this world because the old systems largely need to be abandoned. And I think we're seeing it. We talked about it the other day, just with the, the, the blockchain um, network and what's happening there, the blockchain protocol, I should say. And 
cryptocurrencies. It's just the start of what is possible where we don't need to have that third party arbiter come in and tell us what we can and can't communicate. The system expects revolution. It does not expect abandonment. You know, and that's where I think that I think in a very technological, um, you know, economical way, crypto is that wild frontier of saying like everything's going to change. Um, we don't ex- like no one really knows how yet or fully manifest, but you're starting to get the feeling that something is happening. And I think that that will occur more and more at, at community levels. Um, especially as, as you see more breakdown, it's people going to have to come together in different ways. Um, so it, to me, it's, to me, the work now is, you know, wake yourself up, do your own work, let go of your trauma, move out of your roles and, and do your inner work in whatever way that is for you. Develop a contemplative mind that can hold, uh, and out of that naturally will start to flow a different sense of what's important, what's really important. And then you start to move towards that and that starts to, and what's amazing to me, I think of it as a modern day activism. I'm always on about it. Someone who finds that really authentic place that is living in that state of calm, relaxed awareness, that is, you can feel that is present outside of roles and trauma, just is present with themselves, is integrated, uh, a, a state of wholeness. You know, people around them just start looking at them and saying like, What's going on with that? You don't have to tell anybody to do, to jump on the bandwagon. They just start looking at you and saying, what's going on over there? Like whatever's happening over there, I want to be a part of it. And in that way, you know, people who start to live like that become like tuning forks, Mm. you know, just because people start to say like, I'm drawn there, like something's going on there. Um, And I think, again, I mean, I don't know. I'm just a guy from the bush, but (laughs) I I, I know I do. I think that like, there's a hunger for different ways of living. There's a hunger for community. There's a hunger for the village consciousness. And there's a hunger to build it together in a different way. And that, that to me is what is going to hold us when, it's, when it gets really weird. And I think it is going to get quite, it's going to get more outrageous in the next Because more people need to wake up to yeah. it. And I think... Well, Several have, right? There's been large groups of people that are, you know, as you said, they've changed political affiliation because they're like, this is not what I signed up for. But it's it's like anything. It just has to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And that's it just feels shitty. Yeah. But we need to see the underbelly. We need to see how the sausage is made. We need to wake up to all these things that we've, a lot of us, myself included, have been naive towards and thought people had our best interest in mind. And and largely those trusted institutions have not. Yeah. And that's where it's going to be like, who do you turn to? You're going to have to turn to the social capital in the people around you that you care about and the value that you've built through building community around you. And like finding ways to innovate together at that level just seems like it has to be an important step in this. Um, so, you know, I'm no, I'm no great profit of it, but all I know is, in a capitalist society, the real value is in relation, you know, and, and the capitalist society pulls you into comparison mm-hmm. uh, through material hierarchy. Um, but what we're really looking for is a place where we can feel like we can belong with others and where we can serve with others 
and where we're in it together and working out how to do it together. Mm. Yeah. So that's probably all I know about that. Perfect. Okay. So where can uh, people get more Boyd? I mean, you've got your amazing book that I, dude, I've, I've, I've got those copies in, I would love for you Thank to you. sign those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, com, and we are launching our first uh, online retreat, which is uh, the Track Your Life on, online retreat, an opportunity to uh, discover what track you want to be on, um, develop the consciousness and presence of a, of a life tracker and sit inside of an eight-week program that is going to ask you very real questions about what you're looking for, what you hope to find and how you hope to create it, tune you into your body, um, bring some awareness to some of the past roles and traumas that you might be holding and help you really vision uh, where you want to go. So that's, I'm really excited about that. Um, and yeah, boydvati.com, all the books are on there. Um, and just, you know, we, in these times, we really are going to have to, you know, live moment to moment and find our way. Beautiful. And I look forward to doing it. And we were talking about it um, yesterday about the, the online uh, retreat. You said it's really for anybody too. It doesn't matter. I mean, if certainly it seems like it's for the, the one that's just awakening, but on, on any level, there's so much, I mean, I've an had, opportunity I've for stillness. Like, yeah. Introduction to the work to guys who um, have been running leadership, conscious leadership groups for, you know, 25 years. And the course just takes you to wherever you're at and allows you to explore, you know? Mm. And so it works at multiple levels. I mean, I did it myself recently uh, again, and it's just helping me discover again what I think about things, you know, helping me find out where I'm going, what I'm discovering, helping me refine. So, yeah, it's got to be a good sign when you're doing your own course. Hell fuck yeah. <laughs> awesome. It was great to be with you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for being yeah. here, man. Love you. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.